I haven't been in service for a few weeks because I normally do children's church. So if I'm repeating some of the things you've heard, that's a good thing because that means the Holy Spirit wants to um, remind us or underscore certain things in our lives. Or if I may touch on some things that you haven't heard before, that's also good because it's the Spirit of God that bears witness to what his word says. Now, I'm getting a bit hot here, not because I'm feeling under pressure, but because I am just hot. So if you could take that. Thank you very much. Okay, so let's go. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word that sets us free. Thank you for these precious, precious people that are here. And thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts today. Amen. So we've been looking at the topic of giving. And I want you to look at your neighbor and say, give Jesus the preeminence. Look at your other neighbor and say, give Jesus the preeminence. And so as we're looking at the topic of giving, it is of fundamental importance that we get our priorities in order. I just want to quote something here, and it says this. Our ability to give in a manner that, God, that has God's approval is directly linked to the manner and willingness in which we have given our hearts to God. I'll say that again. Our ability to give in a manner that has God's approval is directly linked to the manner or the willingness in which we have given our hearts to God. And so from the very onset, when we're talking about the issue of giving, it has to begin with Jesus. It has to be end with Jesus. It has to come from a place of our hearts. Because unless Jesus is the reason why we give, unless Jesus, thank you, is the motivating factor why we do what we do, we'll end up getting burnt out. When people don't show appreciation for what we give, we'll get offended. When things don't go the way we thought they should go in the here and now, we'll think, what's the point? What's the point of giving to God? What's the point of serving others if this is all I get in return? But if we can understand that fundamentally, us being able to give in a manner that God approves, that God approves of. Because you can give, but God's not interested in it. You can do things for others and it doesn't have God's approval on it. You can live a life of giving and then when we stand before God on that day, because the Bible says it's appointed for a man to die once and then the judgment. And you know, Jesus spoke about eternal rewards more than anybody else in the Bible. So if Jesus spoke about it so much, it's because it's important. But if what we give isn't coming from a place of a heart that is surrendered to God, it's going to be worthless. And so we'll be saved as if saved by fire, but for the rest of eternity, we'll have nothing to show for our life on the earth. Now, how many of you here have seen um, Endgame? Yeah? Okay. All right. I'm really sorry, right? If you haven't seen it and you're planning on seeing it, just close your ears. This is the only bit you're allowed to close your ears from. Okay. You know right at the end of the film where Captain America goes back in time to put all the Infinity Stones back? Yeah, I'm really, really, put them in really tight so you can't hear, okay? <laughs> Forgive me. I mean, my son went to see it and he's like eight and he kept, he said, Mom, but I'm not going to tell you that this happens. It's like, no, don't talk about it. But anyway, I digress. 
So you know when Captain America goes, and you think, okay, how long is that going to take? And so they ask um, the Hulk, they say, so how long is it going to be? Because it's going to be like a lifetime. He says, oh, about three to five, three, two or three seconds. And it's like in a heartbeat, bam, he's back. But they can't see him, and they look over, and they see him sitting on the bench. And you're thinking, who's that old man? And then you realize it's Captain America, and you think, oh, my goodness, he finally got to marry his sweetheart and all the rest of it. Okay, it was like that, wasn't it? It was like that. Yeah? Okay. It was like that. But in that, he had lived a lifetime. Our life on this earth, compared to eternity, is like that. I'm telling you, it feels like a lifetime. It feels like, oh, this is taking forever. But compared to eternity, it's like that. And once that's over, that's it. That's it. The Bible says that Jesus has gone ahead of us to prepare a place. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that he's prepared for us. But we have this interim between now and when we enter into eternity. And how you and I give in the here and now, it's like that, compared to the rewards we're going to get on the other side. That's why the Bible says, remember, you are strangers and pilgrims. You're passing through. But the enemy is so good in convincing us that what we have in the here and now is so important. What we can build up and keep and maintain and protect, hoard, is so important. The idea of giving selflessly for the kingdom and for Jesus just seems like, what, well, you know, what value is it? Now, we may never say that because that's not good Christianese, but by the choices we make, by the things we harden our heart to when God speaks to us, when we decide not to go the extra mile, but give the bare minimum, that's exactly what we're saying. And so the issue of giving is central to how we have given our hearts to the Lord. And it's important that we understand there's a good way to give and there's a bad way to give. And the scary thing is, is that on the surface, to an onlooker, it looks the same. You can have two people doing a righteous act or an act of kindness, and to you and I, it looks equally the same. But God's not interested in appearances. He's interested in what's going on in here. It's what's going on in our heart. Because it's out of our hearts that deceit, lust, envy, greed, all those things come out of pride, indifference to the things of God. So you could be coming here to church every morning to set up. But if you've got a wrong spirit about it, there ain't no blessing. You could be saying, God, I'm going to sacrifice this. I'm going to sacrifice that for your kingdom. And God's saying, I don't want you to sacrifice that. I just want you to obey me in that area. Oh, but Lord, I'll log on to the early morning prayer meetings. I'll go to evangelism. I'll do all these acts of, you know, righteous acts. They're not bad things. But God's saying, honey, to obey is better than sacrifice. And if we look at the um, Pharisees and the Sadducees, it's very clear that um, how God views things is quite different. Now, I'm going to read through this scripture. Now, it's quite a long one, but I'm just going to go through it quickly. 
And it's Jesus speaking to um, describing the, the scribes and the Pharisees. But first, I just want to go to, let's see. I want us to go to Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 13. And also, and sorry, also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give ten tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, sorry, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So from the very beginning, as we're going through the scripture, it's important that we are in reality about where we're at. Because if we exalt ourselves and make ourselves think more highly of ourselves than compared to God's measure, it ain't so, then that's not going to help us. But we need to have the humility to recognize, okay, Lord, I've missed it in some of these areas. Or I've kind of grown a bit slack in some of these areas. Or, Lord, you know what? I come to church, I go through the motions, but I haven't even given my life to you. You know, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and you don't even do what I say? So Matthew Matthew 23, please help me with the time. All right, is that how much time I've got left or how much time I've been speaking? (laughs) Matthew 23, verse 13. And this is Jesus speaking to the religious people of their day. Now, We have the benefit of hindsight. So now when you hear the word, oh, you Pharisee, you Sadducee, you teacher of the law, we have a context to know that they completely missed it. So we have that benefit. But in Jesus' day, these were the dons. These were the ones that logged on to every prayer meeting. These are the ones when they sang, man, it sounded like, not a herd, a flock of nightingales were singing. These are the ones that knew God's word. When they would speak, it would be so eloquent and so anointed. These were the ones that always answer the right question. These are the ones that always have an answer for every problem. What needs to be done to the church to fix it? These are the ones that externally, we would have thought they were, as my son says, strong Christians. So remember, when Jesus was addressing these people, it would have been revolutionary in the minds of the people who were in awe of how spiritual, of how committed, of how noble, of how holy, of how righteous, of how integrous these men were. But remember, Jesus isn't interested in appearances. I'm just going to digress a little bit, then I'll come back. Now, you guys look so holy. I'm sure most of you don't even watch YouTube. Okay. But there's this phenomena that I discovered. And basically, it's about these um, Korean women. And what they do, they look one way. And then they begin to change. They, what's what they do is they'll take off the wig. Then they'll take... So they look like this. And then they'll start taking off the tape. Then they take off their eyebrows. Then they take off the lashes. 
Then they take off the colored contact lenses or the contact lenses that make their eyes look bigger. Then they begin to scrape off their nose. And it's fascinating. You think, oh my goodness. The transformation versus what they put out there versus what the real deal is, it's like night and day. And as Christians, God does not expect us to be like that. God wants us to walk in truth. The foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice, is truth. And as Christians, God wants us to be real. Not putting out there something that's so contrary to what the reality is. And this is what the Pharisees did. They had an appearance of doing the right thing. But when God looked into them, they were found wanting. Let me read this scripture. So, verse 13. Just hold on to your hats. It's a bit of a long one, but I think it's important. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Woe to you, blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he's obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the, uh, the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus had a lot to say about giving an appearance of something when in reality something else was happening. The tax collector didn't pretend to be something he wasn't. He knew he had issues. And he was willing to humble himself before God and confess those issues so that he could be free from them. When we humble ourselves before God, then we put ourselves in a position for his grace, his undeserved favor, to enable us to become all that he's called us and created to be. 
But as long as we make excuses or blame other people or brave other circumstances or always have an answer, you know, somebody, when you talk to them, they've always got a reason why it's not their fault, why it's someone else's fault. We're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be able to humble ourselves before God and before each other. So these Pharisees, because of their hypocrisy and the things that they were doing, they created stumbling blocks to others. What they would do or how they would act in public wouldn't add up. How they discipled others and influenced others meant that the influence they had on others was corrupted and defiled. You know, the Bible says if you have um, ought against somebody, it doesn't say ring as many people as you know and tell them about it or whisper at the back of the church about it. The Bible says if you have ought against somebody, you're supposed to go and speak to them with the spirit of humility. And if they don't want to hear it, then you bring somebody else. When we get offended and we spew our poison onto other people, we're actually defiling them. When we've got issues with the way things are being done and we just happen to share it with whoever will listen, that's not okay. We're not supposed to defile those we serve. We're supposed to uphold them and uplift them and share things that will help them and encourage them. The Pharisees placed more value and emphasis on natural and carnal matters more than the eternal. You know, the way some of us consider the corporate world and the way we think things should be done and then how that translates in how we do things when it comes to God's house, it's not okay. It's not okay. It really isn't okay. Those of us who have our own businesses or our own ideas or things that we're pursuing and the way in which we do that versus the way in which we do things when it comes to God and his house. Now, it's not supposed to be a dichotomy where one's our own thing and the other thing's God. Remember what I said at the very beginning, that it's our, it has to come from a heart that is yielded to God. We're talking about giving, and we're talking about giving Jesus to preeminence. Because if Jesus is Lord of my heart, Steve, whatever I do will be an outward working of that worship. So whether it's in the marketplace, whether it's at home, whether it's with my neighbor, whether it's with my children or my family, it's all worship. It's not something that's separate from worship. Do you understand? And because I'm working and walking with him, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing with all my might. I'm doing it with all my heart because it's as unto him. Do you understand? Um, okay, I'm going to look up here. Okay, I'm going to look up here. Okay, I'm going to look up here. There's a certain way, there's a certain value I'm going to put on the house of God. Now, I get it. We're all late sometimes. I'm late sometimes. I get it. But for some of us, every Sunday we're late. And it's not for anything else other than it's not important to us. It is important to me, Pastor Aisha. Mm, Okay. Would you ever turn up to work the way you turn up to church? Let's say you're down on a rotor. And again, let me look up here. So no one thinks I'm getting at them. Let's say you're down on the road to do something. Would you ever just not turn up to work and not say anything? There is no way because you know you get the sack. But we do it to God's house and we think that it's okay. And then we wonder why our personal lives are where they are. 
God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, and the thing about when you sow and reap, it doesn't happen automatically. There's a, there's a time frame. Now, let me qualify it. I understand there are times things happen outside of our control, and I get it, okay? But for most of us, that isn't the reason. If we're honest, it's because it's not a priority to us. See, the Pharisees were more concerned about things that was involved with cha-ching than a heart yielded to God. The Pharisees major on minors and minored on majors, allowing their own truth to supersede God's fundamental truth. I'll leave that there. The Pharisees, had, the Pharisees had wrong priorities and motives. They lacked true spirituality. Look, speaking eloquently, singing wonderfully, um, being able to do amazing things, most of those things are gifts. It's not because you or I are particularly amazing. It's a gift. You know when you get a gift, it's given to you, and God has given gifts to men. So just because someone's really good at doing something... That doesn't mean that God actually approves of them or approves of their lifestyle. If I came back from a mission, let's say the Lord sent me to Hawaii, okay, and I came back and I said, guys, when I was there, it was awesome. What are you laughing for? (laughs) I said, I raised the dead. You'd be like, what? No, it's not true. And I said, look, here's a video, and there's someone in a casket, and then I say, in Jesus' name. And then they go, <coughs> and they come alive. And everyone's like, oh my goodness. And having like three or four times. Pretty good, yeah? Or um, there was someone who came in who was blind, deaf, deaf, sorry, couldn't walk, and had no arms. And then I prayed for them, and they suddenly became, they grew arms, they were able to see. You, I'd be impressed. Would you be impressed? Yeah? Some of you are like, nah, I need more than that. But I'd be impressed. But Jesus said on that day, many will come and say, Lord, didn't we cast out devils in your name? Didn't we raise the dead? Didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we do many signs and wonders in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me, you lawless ones. I never knew you. And that word, as I was doing this Bible study, that word or that term lawlessness kept coming up. It kept coming up. It kept coming up. Lawlessness. And we'll look look into that briefly. Um, as we go on. This is actually the introduction, so I need to crack on. All right. The Pharisees were duplicitous. What they appeared to others was in contrast to who they really were. They refused to judge the actions of others righteously. So whilst they would judge maybe the, the tax collector for doing all those wrong things, the pride, the indifference, the arrogance of their fellow, they didn't touch it. You know, in John chapter 8, verse 42 to 44, Jesus said that the Pharisees behaved like their father. And they were up in arms. Because, like, what are you saying we behave like our father? But their behavior was consistent with the devil. What they did. Maybe not what they said, but what they did. And our actions, our speech... Our behavior is supposed to be consistent with our Father. 
truth, humility, justice, self-control, kindness, mercy, goodness. In Revelation, Revelation, you can tell I've got a new app here. I'm just trying to figure out how to work it. Okay, so Revelation chapter 3. And in verse 14 to 19, remember we're talking about giving Jesus the preeminence. We're talking about the fact that all our giving, it has to come from a place of Jesus being the Lord of our heart. And it's from that place that we give whatever it is he's asking us to give. Because if our hearts are yielded to him, it doesn't mean that there are times where we don't struggle But because he's the boss, we submit our will to his. And that's very easy to preach, and I get it. But it can be quite the opposite to live. But the word of God says that he has given us all we need for life and godliness. The Bible says that he has given us the Holy Spirit to be our counselor, our advisor, The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. So everything we need, we have been given it through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And there are some things that we are asking God to do and God won't do it because he's given us what we need to do it. We just have to choose to do it. We have to be willing to humble ourselves and recognize, boy, may have some issues. And see it for what it is. And not be so defensive and touchy every time someone mentions, oh, no, no, no. I mean, that's just foolishness. It really is. If we, no, so if you don't remember anything, remember um, Endgame. But no, that's probably not a good thing to say when you're preaching. But do you understand what I'm saying? This is just, this is just a breath. This is like the warm-up for when we really, really begin to rule and reign when Jesus comes back. So in Revelations chapter 3, and the problem is sometimes we can hear these scriptures so much that it loses the impact. But in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 19, it says this, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So the way the Laodiceans saw themselves versus how Jesus saw them, completely opposite. But they were doing all the things that needed to be done. But when God looked at their heart... He found them wanting. Also in verses 1 to 2 of the same chapter, 
And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things say he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive. But you are dead. What? But they had a reputation of being alive, of happening, things happening. God's blessing them. Everybody knows their name. They're just, you know, they are the church to be a part of. You have a reputation. It wasn't a bad reputation they had. It wasn't a bad reputation. It was a good reputation. It showed that they were being successful, that God's blessing was on them. You have a name that you are alive. But when God looked at them, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. God is not interested in appearances. How you look to yourself and how you look to others. He's interested in what is going on in here. What's going on in here? And because his love for us is so fierce... He wants it all. He wants it all. He doesn't do 50-50. He wants it all. He wants it all. He wants everything. He wants to come and devastate every aspect of your life and be in total control of everything. He wants it all. I don't know what you've heard up until this point, but he wants it all. He doesn't do pieces. He wants everything. He wants our mind. He wants our will. He wants our emotions. He wants our passions. He wants our dreams. He wants our desires. He wants our speech. He wants our thought life. He wants the things that we say, the things that we do, the things that we desire. He wants to invade every single aspect of our lives because his love for us is ferocious. God doesn't do sloppy seconds. He wants everything. And that's the beginning of discipleship. I mean, you look at things like Matthew 5, 6, 7, the Sermon on the Mount. You can't live up to that in your own strength. If someone slaps you, you're going to want to slap them. You don't you'll pick up your shoe and, in fact, hold my earrings, hold my weave and let me just. But a heart that's yielded to God, a heart that fears God, because you fear God more than how it looks, it's not easy but you'll default to him. We're talking about giving. We're talking about giving him the preeminence. Because some of us, we can write a check for 300 pounds, but that's not what God wants. He wants your time. Some of us will happily give God our time, but just don't mention that savings. But what he wants to me is your savings. Some people, it could be anything, because it's, it's what is going on in here. Do you understand? Talking about giving. So how we give is important. Jesus watched how people gave. You know when they were giving in the temple? The Bible says that 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 word watch, when Jesus was watching how people were giving in the temple, it means a spectator. It means to discern. It means to consider. It means to perceive. 
So number one, how we give to God is important because Jesus watches how we give. He watches how we give. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 16 to, 16 to 18, the, the scripture talks about those who feared the Lord and would talk about him. And the Bible says a book of remembrance was written with their names in it. Because God watches. He watches when we give our lives. Even when we're struggling, but in our heart we're trying to do the right thing. God sees that. But that's not a cop-out for when we, we're not trying to do the wrong thing. We just feel bad about it. There's a difference. Oh, am I the only one? Yeah? You, you look so serious. You look so serious. But we need reality, guys. We need reality. We need reality. Look, if we're lukewarm, it's best we repent and come back to God. If we're not even in God, then, mate, we ain't even begun the journey. There you, we need to get into God. For those of us who have let things slip and slide and let little here a little, you know the Bible says the little foxes that spoil the vine? It's these things that we allow into our lives, and we know that it's not the best, but we think, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And God said, nah. When I was a child, I thought as a child, I behaved as a child. Then I became a man and put away childish things. And there's some things that, it's enough already. Just stop, stop the foolishness. Just stop it. Just stop it. Just stop it. Because the Spirit of God is moving. And we're, in, we're entering that season of the five wise and the five foolish virgins. And the movement that's coming is only those who have their oil ready that will be able to flow in it. Number two, how we give determines how and what we receive. How and what we are receiving is based on how and what we have given to God and then to others. How and, how and what we are receiving today is based on how and what we have given to God and then to others. I remember I was speaking to one person who um, had lost a loved one. And they said to me, now that they'd lost somebody, they real- this is their words, okay, they realized how rubbish they'd been of helping their friends when they'd lost somebody. Because they didn't get it. But now that they were in the situation, they realized what it is that they needed. But they recognized that they hadn't done that for others. Do you understand? So when we're in the, when we're in the fire... And we're wondering why, why isn't this person supporting me? Why isn't that person supporting Just rewind. Go back to when you were footloose and fancy free. The things that you're demanding that other people do for you, who did you do that for? It's the law of sowing and reaping. And a wise man or a wise woman will, rec- will recognize, say, yeah, actually, I didn't do a great job. Lord, I I, I repent. Forgive me. Help me to do better now. Because when you get angry and upset for people not being what you think they should be for you, the only person who suffers is you. And you know, sometimes the Lord does it deliberately. So people want to call you, but for some reason they just keep forgetting. It's because he wants to to bring to the surface what's hidden in our hearts. Cannot get away from the heart. I wish we could. I wish it wasn't such a real issue for God because it would make life so much easier. Short term, 
but long term it won't. Because those things are like weeds. They grow. They go down deep first. Don't even know they're there. Then they start coming up. And you pull the top off and you think, right, I've dealt with that. And then a couple of months later, you see the weed popping up again. You think, well, what's, what's going on? Because those things need to be uprooted. And the way we uproot them isn't by blaming everybody else but ourselves. It's by confessing. Seeing it the way God sees it. Not the way your friends see it. Because you know sometimes friends, they don't want to hurt your feelings. They'll say, oh no, it's all right. When actually, it is actually it's not all right. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And we need friends who love us enough to wound us in the sense that they'll tell us the truth and it hurts. But not because they're just putting us in our place because they just need to know. No, no, no. But they're coming from a place of true friendship so that we can truly repent and say, do you know what? This is wrong. I need to stop this or I need to start whatever it is. So we confess our sin and we repent. Enables us to find freedom from it. Becoming offended and making excuses compounds the effects of that thing. Number three, the good news is the Holy Spirit, he is our counselor. He is our advisor on how and what we should give. I don't know about you, but I've been in services before, not, not, not really in CLF, where the way the speak, because you talk about giving, people always think, oh, they're after your money. Yeah? But I wouldn't say money's nothing, but God's not interested in your money. He's interested in your heart. Because if he's got your heart, he's got your money. If he hasn't got your money, he ain't got your heart. No matter how much you sing, no matter how much you shout, no matter how much you pray, no matter how much whatever, it's our heart that he wants. But you know, sometimes you can go into a service and the way the speaker is talking about giving an offering, you feel compelled to give. Not because the Holy Spirit is bearing witness in your heart, but just because the whole vibe of the place, you feel like, okay, well, I better give something. But if God's not telling you to give, it's a waste of time. Do you understand? Someone might say to you, right, you need to sign up to this department, and if you don't do it, it means you're a really bad Christian and you're not committed. But in your heart, you know that God's saying no. You, didn't, you shouldn't be signing up to that. But because of the force of someone's personality, you end up doing it. It's rubbish. There may be something that, an uh, opportunity that presents itself that naturally wouldn't seem like a good idea. Okay? But God's telling you, you need to do it. Now, I, I, yeah, okay. <laughs> Sorry. See, I don't sound like the hero of my own story. This is an example of when I think I got it right, okay? But there are many, many times when I've got it completely wrong. When we started our church in Tutin, I had just had Daniel. And cut a long story short, there wasn't anybody who could pastor the church. But I, and Daniel was like two, two months old. He was my first, no, no, not two months, about four or five months old. He was my first child. I'd never been a pastor before in my life. Neither did I ever want to be a pastor because I thought, no. I'd seen how my senior pastor in my old church had suffered. I thought, nah, it's all right, mate. <laughs> I'm not interested in being a pastor. Um, so what happened was basically the opportunity came and we needed a pastor in Tutin. Now, naturally speaking, I wasn't qualified. Okay, I didn't feel gifted to be a pastor. I didn't think I would have the patience and all the rest of it that comes with being a pastor. And more importantly, I just had a baby. No one has a baby then starts pastoring a, a church plant. It doesn't make sense. 
But in my heart, I honestly felt the Lord had given me the invitation. Does that make sense? But naturally speaking, it didn't make sense. Externally, it didn't make sense. But in my heart, I knew that's what God wanted me to do. Do you understand? So the point I'm trying to make is this. We have to hear what God is saying to us when it comes to giving. Because there are some things God's telling you to give, and it looks like it, it doesn't make any sense. But that's what he's requiring of you in that season. And when you give to him, it unlocks all these other things. And there are some things which we feel obliged to give, but God's not calling you to give in that area. He's touching this area. But we kind of like, like a fly, you know, like, you kind of just like a buzzing fly, kind of brush it off. And God's saying, no, this is the thing that I want you to yield your heart to. For some of us, there's some, um, for some of us, it's uh, forgiveness. God's saying, let it go. Let it go. For some of us, it's the way in which we carry and conduct ourselves. God's saying, you need to grow up now and stop behaving like that because it's not okay. And it can be different things for different people. You know, in John chapter 10, verse 26 to 27, Jesus talks about his sheep hearing his voice. And when our hearts are yielded to the Lord, we can hear him because the scripture says his sheep hear his voice. And the Bible says they hear his voice. The Bible says he knows them, unlike that fabulous crew who do all those amazing signs and wonders. And on that day, Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. No, no, his sheep, he knows them. And then number three, it says they follow him. They follow him. Wherever he goes, wherever he leads, they follow him. And there are times when God leads you through places which you'd rather not go. It's like the haunted house in the dark room, and then the person comes into the dark haunted house by themselves. It's like, no, no, you don't go into the dark haunted house and say, hello, is anybody there? You can talk the house and run. But sometimes, the way, where the Lord leads us isn't always pleasant. Sometimes God leads us into that dark night of the soul where we are under pressure, where we can't, we don't know what's going on, but we know that's where God's leading us. Jesus must have the preeminence if our giving has any value to God. Now, very quickly, because I'm going to close in a minute. Uh, let me just find that. When we give Jesus the preeminence, it means to be first in rank, first in influence, foremost in time, place, and order of importance. It means before. It means the beginning. It means we give him the best, the chief place. It means that he's superior to, he is above. If Jesus has the preeminence in our hearts, he will have our heart, our mind, our soul, our emotions, our time, our money, our strength, our talents, how we speak, the things we think about, 
the things we post online and the things we view online, our relationships, our behavior, our speech, our sexuality, our clothing, our appetite, our eyes, and our ears. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. He wants to invade our lives, invade our hearts. Jesus said the greatest commandment, the thing of most value to God, was to love him with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. Steve, it wasn't to love our neighbor as ourselves. It wasn't to be a um, culturally relevant church. It wasn't about impacting the community. It was to love God with all our heart, your mind, your will, emotion, your dreams, your ambitions, your desires, your interests, your passions, your focus, your strength. All your mind how you do life, how you make sense of the world around you, how you relate, how you think, the strongholds that govern your mind, your will, the choices you and I make. When we are born again, we have power over our will. Sin does not have power over our will. The devil doesn't have power over our will. Temptation doesn't have power over our will. We have power power over our will. I don't care what your background is. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, the scripture says the power of sin is death. But you don't understand the challenges at this particular... No, 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 no. The scripture says the Holy Spirit, he enables us. We are no longer slaves to sin. So don't make excuses for it. Just own it and say, Lord, you need to forgive me because what I'm doing and what I'm, what I'm choosing to do the reason why he wants us to love, love us with our will is because we can. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Heart, mind, soul, strength. Our strength. Our strength. Not the leftovers. Come on, guys. Not the leftovers. He wants our strength. There's a scripture. I saw it on the... Um, screen just before service started and it said seek you first the kingdom of God all his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you and when God adds no one can take away when God gives no one can take it so beloved my message today as we're looking at giving if I was to summarize it, we need to give Jesus the preeminence in our heart. And when we've done that, every other aspect of giving will have its rightful place. But if we don't have that, then it's all going to be out of sync. And it's going to be of no value to him. Because we want to give in a way that he notices that he honors, that brings pleasure to his heart. Because if it doesn't, it's a complete waste of time because it have no eternal consequence, no eternal value. That's what our life is on the earth. It's like that. In the light of eternity, it's like that. 
So if the Lord has spoken to you today, I don't want you to stand, but what I want you to do is I want you to just put your hand on your heart. The Bible says, he who the, love, he who the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he's jealous for us. He's jealous for our affection. He's jealous for, our, for everything we are. Not because he's insecure and needy, but because God is love. With an everlasting love, he has loved us. And with loving kindness, he has drawn us. Father, we want to be honest with you this afternoon, Lord. Father, we want to humble ourselves before you, Lord. Father, we want to respond to what it is you are speaking to us individually today, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you continue to move upon every single heart? Father, we ask for fresh grace to set apart you as Lord in our hearts. Father, we ask you to give us ourselves so that we can see clearly. Father, we ask you to touch our ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us. Father, give us grace so that we give Jesus the preeminence in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray for each person here. Whilst I've only touched on a few areas, Lord, I know that you want to continue this conversation with them in their private time with you. And Lord, right now I come against every spirit that would seek to steal the word from their hearts and I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Father, your word says that you watch over your word to perform it. Perform your word in the hearts of these precious, precious people. Father, I ask for your strength upon everyone here who's feeling weak, Lord. Who's feeling like giving up, Lord Jesus. Would you strengthen their hearts, Lord. Father, I pray for those who are going through fiery trials at this moment, Lord. That, Lord, they would not lose their confidence, which has a great reward. But you'd give them grace to trust you in the midst of the storm. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask for your Holy Spirit to have mercy upon those who have lost their way and don't even know it, Lord. Or maybe they do know it. But, Lord, I ask that whatever you need to do to bring them back to you, that you would do it, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you just fall upon every heart in this place? Thank you, Jesus. More of your spirit, Lord. More of you, Lord. More of your healing, your reassurance, your comfort, your grace. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. And we ask you to do exceedingly abundantly. Above all that we can ask, think or even imagine, according to the power at work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.